0: everyone thanks so much for joining me on the slice of healthcare podcast today i'm here with dr chris chen and we're going to be talking about the future of value-based care how are you
1: i'm doing well jared great to be back
0: yeah i'm excited the uh the first one went so well we're running it back and i can't wait for for future episodes with uh with you and more members of the chen med team so thanks again for being a guest my pleasure so i i'd love to i'd love to dive into it you know chen Med's obviously been uh, value-based care has always been part of your mission and something that really drives you. I'd love if you could start by telling the audience. So I feel like most people know what value-based care is, but we do have listeners that maybe they don't. Could you give in your mind a quick definition of what value-based care is? And then we can dive into what the future of uh, value-based care may look like.
1: Thanks, Jared. Yeah. You know, before I actually define value-based care, let's just talk about where we are today. You know, we're, we're in a pretty hard place right now. We actually can't afford not to change the value-based care. It's almost, you know, if I may be so bold to say that it's actually immoral for us to not transition over to value-based care. Here's the reason why. The current system that we have today, it costs nearly one-fifth of the United States economy at roughly about $3.7 trillion. It's full of waste and we get very little for it. Let me give you an example. Prior to COVID, the, the previous five years prior to COVID, we saw a, a flat or even declining life expectancy in this country. However, the cost of healthcare continues to rise. And when you compare us to other wealthy nations, we are actually outpacing them in terms of an increase in costs, but we clearly aren't getting a lot for our dollar. So we have a challenge here. What value-based care does is it flips the entire system. So rather than focusing on sick care, that means incentivizing people to take care of sick people only, and only when they get sick, we're focusing on wellness and keeping people healthy. It's it's about prevention. So let me give you some data of why we feel so passionate about this. Right. So we here at ChenMed, you know, we're um, in 24 cities today. Um, by the end of the year, we should be in about 26 cities, and and we have data that suggests that our patients will live. Five to seven years longer than our um, than similarly geographically matched norms. Um, we have predictably reduced hospitalization rates by 30 to 50 percent. We have data coming out. Um, we just published in the American Journal of Preventive Cardiology that our sick patients with heart disease, they are even if they get COVID, they were 40 percent less likely to die from COVID because they had access to high-touch primary care. Now, the fee-for-service model, which is exactly the opposite of a preventative model, is increasing costs, why? Because they're incentivized to increase costs. You know, what we've discovered here is that health, when you're trying to improve health, it's actually much more about lifestyles, behaviors, the environment you live in, and what you can access, right? We think that's about 50 to 80%. Obviously, you have to put genetics as a part of that. as opposed to what everybody indexes on, which is really pills, procedures, referrals. And we believe, you know, good access to clinical care is only about 10 to 20% of the impact. So if you're really trying to make a difference in, in actually decreasing cost, preventing problems, you've got to approach that other 80%. One last point I just want to bring up, you know, today, who really leads healthcare, large integrated hospital systems, they lead healthcare. However, The third leading cause of death in America is actually hospital errors. The best thing that we can do if we really want to improve um, health and reduce costs is to figure out ways to prevent patients from becoming catastrophically ill and then getting to the hospital in the first place. That saves money. Everybody's happier. Americans live longer um, and, and we have a better outcome. So I I do think there is a problem. Now, one other point I wanna bring up, if you look under the covers in terms of why healthcare doesn't work, people say healthcare doesn't work. That actually isn't completely true. Remember I said that the average life expectancy is actually declining or staying stable in this country despite the increase in costs. But if you actually look under the covers, wealthy people are actually living much longer. They're having an increase in life expectancy. So what's driving the average down lower to moderate income people, specifically low income people are actually, their life expectancy is dropping very quickly. So even though everybody's talking about financial inequities in this country, what's even more staggering and more concerning is we have major life expectancy discrepancies of 25 to 30 years and increasing between those who have means and those who do not in every US city in America today. And that's one of the things that we as an organization have been very passionate about going after.
0: Well, it's it's funny, I, I grew up in a household. You know, my, my parents were very supportive, but my mother had this mentality where, you know, I, mom, I don't feel good. Do you really not feel good? Or do you, like, do you have, do you really have to go to the doctors, right? Because then we have to, we, we haven't reached, uh, <laughs> we haven't, uh, we haven't got to that point where you can go, you know, once you hit that certain point, you can go as many times as you want, like for, for basic checkups, and you're fine. But um, if it wasn't towards the end of the year, it was how sick are you? Um, I hurt my elbow. Did, do you think it's broke? Like, as, as a child having to like think that way, but like, and I'm sure there's lots of other, um, you know, people that, that have thought that way. And I, I think that's one of the biggest problems with healthcare. It's like, it's you're starting to see like these new companies. We'll see how they do. Like the forward health of the world, right? Where they're like go as many times as you want, and there's all these uh, what, what you what you're doing at ChenMed, and it, it's definitely proven to uh, it, that's actually going to end up lowering our costs because we're not going for if we're checking up earlier on in, in our like level of sickness or how we're feeling, we can prevent things much sooner, right? Before we're actually getting to the point where it's a big big procedure a big medical bill as a result
1: yeah you are totally right you know on average our doctors and you know we would touch our patients about 13 times a year in person that was prior to covid obviously during covid we added in this thing called love calls so we're actually systematically calling our patients in between visits just to make sure that they're well but you know it, it, the having tremendous preventative access that means where you're spending time with your doctor trying to figure out how do you prevent that heart failure mission you know we you know, it, it's, it's staggering. The number one admission that we deal with and that, mo- that America deals with is heart failure. And, you know, I, I graduated with all of these board certifications and cardiovascular um, uh, sort of specialties. And I said, wow, you know, I wonder how many of these heart failure admissions, the number one cause of admission in America today is preventable. And I used to think that number was about 80 to 90%. Um, each one of those admissions, fifteen dollars to $20,000 each, right? Tremendous burden to the family, to the patients. You know, I was in the ICU with COVID, um, you know, last June. I, I know how horrible that is for, you know, personally and for and for my family. Uh, I know what it feels like to not be able to breathe. Um, and so I wouldn't want anybody to go through that. Plus, there's a huge cost burden, you know? I mean, again, to, to the American taxpayer, it's about fifteen dollars to $20,000. So, how many of those are really preventable? Turns out we are looking at data right now, but we think that number is now over 90%. 90% of heart failure admissions are preventable. So, you know, trying to change the way that we that, that people think about care and excuse me, people think about health. And trying to change the way that the delivery system, the, the providers that are actually providing health care think about health is really critical. As a doctor, even though I knew that 80 to 90% of of, um, heart failure was preventable, I took zero classes, not one minute in my, what would be equivalent of 15 years of grueling training and schooling and how to improve lifestyles and behaviors to prevent heart failure. Isn't that amazing? So that is pretty staggering.
0: Is that something, is that being taught more now, to, to your knowledge, or is it still not being taught as much as it, it should be?
1: You know, I'm sad to say that um, it's been a while since I've, uh, you know, been in school. <laughs> it's getting it's getting longer. But, you know, the, the doctors that are coming out now, they're actually still, um, we're still having to retrain them. It takes us about nine months to train a doctor in how to prevent problems, um, because that's not that the way training is, is performed. I mean, just think about it. You go to a medical school, and medical schools are typically run by professors that work in a large hospital system. And those same professors are usually incentivized in a fee-for-service you know, environment where the more volume they see, the more sick people they see, the you know, the higher their RVUs. And, and and these are these are medical professors, right? They're the ones teaching. So what do you think they're teaching? They're teaching students about how to do what they do. Well, what do they do? They're not in preventative care, they're in sick care. So we have this perpetual cycle. So at ChenMed, you know, we've actually developed our own, you know, sort of medical school curriculum and training curriculum. Um, We're actually not looking for doctors that are, um, that of course we're looking for doctors that are extremely competent, but what we're looking primarily for is their learning agility. How fast can we teach them how to practice care that is preventative as opposed to reactive? You know, we at ChenMed, we believe that if, you're going to, you know, um, be successful in this value-based care journey. You've got to put providers at the cornerstone of this. This, this is not a problem that will be solved by insurance companies. It is not. Insurance companies are doing everything they can because they don't feel like they are providers that are trying to prevent problems. So they, they're going to the homes. They're calling patients at home. They, they are, you know, they have all these wraparound services. But in reality, the problem is, is that we have a healthcare delivery system that is not incentivized to prevent problems. They're incentivized for people to be sick. So just look at what happened during COVID, right? COVID demonstrated how broken our system is. As soon as elective cases went down, the large delivery system says, we are dependent on volume. We are dependent on volume. All the elective admissions have gone down and they went to some sort of financial crisis initially. Then COVID hit us really hard, right? We had those huge peaks, a lot of COVID admissions. And then they had a rebound where all these patients started, you know, going into the hospitals with COVID. And now hospitals have had the best year they've ever had, right? I mean, I, I think uh, HCA just saw their, their quarterly earnings at 21.8% margins, right? They actually gave back money because it was COVID was just so profitable. What kind of system do we have that incentivizes or that that rewards when people and the population get sicker? That's fundamentally broken. And we have a training program that trains to that as well. So we've got to figure out a way to disrupt the care model.
0: So I guess... At the end of the day, there's, there's really no, there's obviously solutions that can be put in place, but it's not just the, this is the one solution that this we can plug and play. It goes much deeper than that, right? It, it has to do with our overall system, how you said, how we're training our, our physicians and other healthcare professionals. Um, it, so that being said, if uh, there, there is no, you know, one solution, there's multiple solutions that need to be layered in, in your mind, what does the what are some of those potential solutions that we can actually take the necessary steps on to move even more towards value-based care than we currently are today? Uh, That would be helpful.
1: Absolutely. So first thing is value-based care requires that, um, that people take, in my opinion, people take um, global risk, meaning upside and downside. You cannot create an environment in which is only upside you must have a carrot and a stick you say listen you've got to be all in you you can't be halfway in prevention and halfway reactive it doesn't work yeah. you can't incentivize people say you're going to do much more you're going to be much more successful when people are sick and then you go into another room and says you're going to be much more successful when people aren't sick doctors can't practice like that So you've got to create an environment in which you say, doctors, we need you to focus on actually preventing problems, number one. Number two, we've got to figure out how to make upside and downside risk. The third thing is we've got to figure out a way to drive businesses and entrepreneurs and disruptors into the most needy areas. And, And what are the most needy areas? We just talked about that at the very beginning. We don't have a global healthcare problem. If you look at the wealthy people in this country, they're living longer and longer each year. All we have is there is a large group of people in this country that is grossly forgotten. Their care model is getting worse. Why? Why would it be getting worse? If I'm running a hospital, I do not wanna open hospitals in low-income areas. Why? Predominantly, those are Medicare and Medicaid fixed prices. As a hospital system, I understand that I can actually grow um, you know, my healthcare system, become more and more relevant in, in any given geography. I can raise prices and I can charge insurers really employers, double or even triple what everybody else pays. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to open up hospitals and open up delivery systems in the wealthiest areas where I know I have an employer that's going to pay double or triple the cost of what it used to cost healthcare. So what, you're, what we're watching in every single um, geography right now that we're in is we're watching a um, people pulling out of some of the most underserved areas, which by the way, have the greatest need. And by the way, are driving the majority of healthcare costs in this country and pulling and going into areas in which the average life expectancy is skyrocketing and going up. So we've got to figure out ways to incentivize people to go into those neighborhoods. In my opinion, we have to put more attention on what is called social determinants of health or what we in Chemed called financial barriers to care. We've got to figure out ways to incentivize businesses like ours. And I know you're thinking, Jared, you're like, Chris, are you crazy? You, you, you're, you're making a an argument to create more competitors. And I'm saying we need more competitors. Okay? We we just we we are growing as fast as we can. We're growing at a Kager at close to 50%. But this country has so much need. The neighborhoods have so much need. We need 10 more Chen There are other versions of Chen Men that have gone public, you know, and, 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 and I'm very encouraged by some of the things that they are producing, but we need more. So I think that that needs to happen.
0: I, I really like the, if, if for our audience listening to, you can tell how passionate Dr. Chen is about this when he's welcoming <laughs> competitors. Not many people do that, but I understand what you're saying. You're, you're also saying it's such a, it's such a, there's a big need all over the place in the, in the United States that, you know, it, it can't just be Chen Med. It has to be other players that continue to come into the space and innovate and um, I, I think we need more of that in, in business in general, right? Like what you're saying. Um, so thank you for, for all that you're doing with ChenMed, and, and thank you for that mindset. It's a it's a rarity. It shouldn't be, but it is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, that your your points make a lot of sense.
1: We can't get every, everywhere. We're talking about a total addressable market that's in the trillions, right? So you know there there, there is an opportunity to really disrupt healthcare and really make it better for everyone. I don't believe for one second. And I, I, w- I was in the hospital. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to survive. And I had the most beautiful people, the most beautiful people trying to keep me alive. And, and, and I recovered. And so I have come out with this very clear perspective that the, the healthcare world is full of beautiful people. Beautiful people stuck in a horrifically broken and poorly incentivized system. In fact, I actually think a lot of healthcare leaders and healthcare providers, they're dying a little inside every day. I mean, if you talk to doctors and how dissatisfied they are with their careers, largely driven by these systems, they they die a little bit each time. They're they're missing purpose. They're they're really not making people better in terms of preventing problems. And the same thing goes for the nurses and the leaders, too. They say the same thing to me all the time. They go, Chris, this is just the system that we're in. It it incentivizes, you know, sickness. And you know what? Companies like ours give those same providers, those same leaders, a beautiful opportunity to express and achieve a purpose that is going to be very difficult to achieve in other environments. And we think this will grow. And there's a demand
0: for it. Absolutely. And and I look forward to continuing to, to have these conversations with you and your team and continue to learn how ChenMed is making, making our healthcare system uh, m- much better than it currently is today. So appreciate always having you come on the podcast and look forward to future episodes. Thank you so much.